classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing Love and Friendship by Jane Austen. Before we jump in, we're excited to talk about more Austen content from one of our favorite podcasts, Hot and Bothered. Hot and Bothered is a podcast that takes romance novels seriously, and you know we're here for that. (laughs) And they have just launched a brand new season. It's all about Pride and Prejudice, and we're obviously here for that too. The hosts, Vanessa Zoltan and Lauren Sandler, are reading a few chapters every week, and they are asking the question, why is this the book that launched a thousand romance novels? (laughs) Along the way, they'll talk to Jane Austen scholars, fans, and skeptics to better understand the book in its context and ours. The podcast releases every other week on Fridays. The new season is called Live from Pemberley, and you can find it by searching for Hot and Bothered wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Chelsea. We're back in Austin land. I know. I was going to say, speaking of Jane Austen, here we are. (laughs) Yeah. I have been enjoying listening to Hot and Bothered, and it's gotten me in an Austin-y mood, and so I, I'm glad that we're returning to Jane for March, which has become a little tradition here, and we're doing something pretty different this time around. Yes, we're reading her Juvenilia instead mm-hmm. of an Austin novel, and I found this to be a really fun experience because... So I had read a little bit of her Juvenilia before, but we got to deep dive and research author Juvenilia for a class with our Classics Club on Patreon, and it was just really fun to feel like a student again, and then after teaching everyone about that, it was fun to dive into love and friendship, this just silly epistolary novella, and yeah, I... I was picking up on a lot of things that we taught about and that I had read about, and it was just, it was just such a fun experience to kind of feel like I was in school again. Yeah, I agree. We should say it's love and friendship with friendship spelled incorrectly, which is just so endearing as well. (laughs) Um, Our young Jane was not a great speller, Um, but she wrote this when she was fourteen, and and oh my gosh, it was just so. Yeah, it was fun. Although I will say, since we're talking just about our general reading experiences, yeah. I, when I started this, I was like, oh, gosh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I can read this. Like, I just kept reading it and being like, wait, I'm actually I'm not actually reading this. You know that mm-hmm. that experience where you're like turning the pages? You dissociate. <laughs> and, and you're like, I'm I have not taken in anything. That my eyes have yeah. just read. So I actually switched to audio, and that made all the difference for me. Then I it was funny again. I enjoyed it a lot more, and I felt like I felt like that's how I was supposed to take it in because I mean we don't know for sure, but scholars kind of theorize that she probably like wrote this and then kind of read them, or her family would read them aloud as like a nightly series. Uh, And so I felt like, oh, this might be how I'm supposed to take it in. And just hearing it 
orally was hilarious because she would finish each letter with just something completely absurd and then it would just be adieu Laura (laughs) just like I loved it so much so I ended up thinking this was fun and nerdy and all of the things that you said but I will admit that it was a slog at first when I tried to read it on the page and so listeners if you felt that way you are not alone you're not doing anything wrong I felt the same way um audio was a great way to go for me I agree. I I certainly wouldn't have enjoyed it, except that my copy has a great section of footnotes in the back. And so I was flipping back and forth frequently as I read to check out the notes section and just see how see what I was missing because often I would read something and I would be like, okay, I think that that's funny, but I'm not 100% getting why or it's not (laughs) fully clicking with me as a modern reader. And then I would read the notes and I would be like, oh, that's hilarious (laughs) because this is a parody. Yes, it's a parody, but you have to know, right, what she's parodying. I just have to go on a mini rant that I, I do not understand end notes why are things not always footnotes? Because I know I shouldn't have said I, footnotes. They are endnotes. I was flipping back and forth and it's really annoying. And I get that like maybe some readers don't want to see the pages clogged with footnotes. Like, you know, sometimes when you open a book and half a page is footnote versus mm-hmm. you're a little bit turned off. But I I just don't flip and I wanted to know those things, but I was being lazy And I'm really glad that you did so you can fill us in on some of them. And also, if publishers are listening, please always (laughs) footnotes and never end notes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there. I took some notes in here, so I hopefully I'll flip a little bit. So if you hear pages on the podcast, that's why. But um, mainly, I mean, the biggest thing that I noticed from these end notes, it was just the, the parody aspect of it all. And it just enhances the comedy when you know, oh, she's really making fun of something. Yes. Should we define parody a little bit? Because I think sometimes it gets kind of conflated with with satire and satire can definitely be part of it. But parody usually is specifically like mocking a genre or um, or particular style by exaggerating all of those all of the common elements of that genre. So like, I don't know. I always think of like parody movies, like uh, like the scary movie franchise. Um, so so she's, she's mocking lovingly, I think, a, a full genre. And that's why like knowing the beats of the genre can really help you find it, it funny. Whereas like satire is more that kind of social criticism and commentary in a funny way. And there might be some of that in here too, but this is more just like straight up parody. Yeah, satire is more in her novels. Yes. And then, yes, this is just parody. And she is parodying sentimental novels. Yeah. And these sentimental novels of the time were, think, Wuthering Heights, but even more dramatic. <laughs> like if you think Mothering Heights is dramatic. So in these sentimental novels, there was often romance and adventure and death and thievery and <laughs> a lot of fainting. 
and yes. a lot of swooning <laughs> and a lot of mistaken identities and a lot of really convenient identities or convenient happenstance things and just a ton of drama. I'm trying to think of what would constitute a sentimental novel today sort of in TV or I guess soap opera would probably be the closest totally. thing. I think I think that's a great one. So she is parodying these novels and winking at a lot of things. And I think the funniest is all of the fainting that happens. Oh my gosh. That's when I was totally won over. I think that the line, we fainted alternately on the sofa, might be one of the funniest just sentences I have ever read. It, I loved it so much and that was the first I don't know if that was the first one that was the the first time that my brain was like oh my gosh that's hilarious and then it just gets more and more ridiculous like like one woman just faints over and over while the other one like runs around hysterically Uh (laughs) I we should um we should on our Instagram or something just collect a lot of the fainting lines and yeah. and put them out there because they're you could just read all of those I think and just find it totally hysterical. It was so funny. So um I'm flipping through here just a couple of the passages that I have marked. These aren't just the fainting passages, but that <laughs> were specifically parodying or specifically lifting something from the sentimental novels. So um, in letter five at the end, Laura says, my natural sensibility had already been greatly affected by the sufferings of the unfortunate stranger. And no sooner did I first behold him than I felt that on him, the happiness or misery of my future life must depend. And that phrase, it's like, that sounds kind of familiar. I've read that in novels before. I've read that mm-hmm. in books before. And then sure enough, I flipped to the end notes. And that is a stock phrase from sentimental novels of the time. But I also feel like that's still used in totally various works of art where it's like, oh, I saw him or I saw this person and I just knew my fate depended upon them or um like I knew my happiness depended on whether they noticed me or not or something um and I just I thought that was so funny I thought that was hilarious and I'm glad that you looked up and and learned that that was um a stock phrase I love <laughs> I love that there have always been stock phrases in, in books know. that's that's so fun yeah I it made me this made me want to like kind kind of want to read a sentimental novel that she would have read to to learn a little bit more but I don't know if I'm going to get that nerdy because I probably would just get really annoyed by reading it but um yeah I I also just loved that you know yes she is specifically parodying these sentimental novels but it also just so much of it reminded me of like how teenagers tell stories like Mm -hmm. and then this happened and then this happened and everything's exaggerated and everything is hyper dramatic and so it was fun to think of this both as like a very smart and astute parody of a genre but also just like a 14 year old's version of a novel so fun I agree okay I have a couple other 
little bits and pieces, some funny moments that I would love to talk about, but I think we should just give the basic premise of love and friendship for anyone. Of course. (laughs) For anyone who's listening and is curious about it or who just needs that little summary. So, okay, I have to look at these people's names because I'm not going to remember these characters. Um, So Isabel writes to Laura and Laura is the main narrator telling the story through letters for the rest of this but Isabel says hey I have this daughter and I would really like for you to tell your story to her to kind of warn her about the perils of adulthood Um, (laughs) because she needs to be warned about how terrible your life turned out to be (laughs) and so Laura's like yeah sure I'll write to your daughter and tell her about my horrible life's turns so I like most that. of <laughs> I, I like that um Isabel is like I know you said that you were going to wait until there was no danger of any more like romantic troubles finding you before you <laughs> yes. shared your story and now that you're like 55 yeah. <laughs> it's safe <laughs> um so then Laura writes these letters to Marianne so the rest of the story is told in letters, Laura to Marianne. And she's telling the story of how she, well, she I means she goes through sort of this like childhood, but then the, the main part of the story is that one evening, a stranger knocks on the door. And this was another part that just cracked me up. A stranger knocks on the door. Laura is sitting with her mom and dad and they're like, I hear a knock that sounds like someone's knocking on the door do you think we should go and see who it is and they just like talk about someone knocking on their door incessantly before going to answer it and it's a stranger and they fall in love and get married within a page like it happens very quickly um But then something very dramatic happens with this stranger. He and his friend end up going to prison, leaving Laura and a friend behind. And it's just, it's all very dramatic. There are some other things that happen that, you know, I don't want to spoil. It's just a short novella, but so there's not a ton to to be spoiling here. But that's the gist of it. She's very unlucky in love with this stranger and got her heart broken and etc. So she's warning Marianne basically about the perils of of marrying someone that you don't know very well, um, among other things, among other life choices. (laughs) Yeah. And like you said, it's just full of coincidences and, you know, they randomly running into characters who had appeared briefly before there's like a long lost grandfather who comes in and out in the course of Mm -hmm. one letter and yeah just a lot of drama yeah did you have any other favorite parts besides the fainting (laughs) i mean nothing nearly as much as the fainting (laughs) that i just i loved every time she talked about fainting because she like changed it up ever so slightly each Mm -hmm. time but it was just, of course, all within uh, the vein of of that first one. So, well, no, nothing specifically. They, they're aware enough that they've fainted. And then when they come to, they're like, we have no idea how long we were out. Yeah. Well, and then, like, one character ends up, I mean, this is a spoiler. I'm going to say it anyway because it's hilarious. 
she ends up like dying of fainting too much. And then she warns Laura. She's like, it's okay to like get hysterical and be mad and run around, but don't faint anymore because yeah. an excess of fainting <laughs> might just kill you, uh, which is amazing. I think, okay, my favorite part was Laura and Sophia. Yes. Are like sitting in this grove of trees and Laura is trying to cheer up Sophia because their husbands are away. They're in prison and they're, they're missing them. And, uh, so she is, Laura's trying to talk about the nature that they're seeing. And every time she mentions something, Sophia is like, Laura, don't say that. It reminds me of Augustus and I miss him so much. And she's like, well, but look at those elm trees over there. Oh no, they look like Augustus, tall and majestic and noble <laughs> when you admire them. And um, she's like, well, look at the sky. It's beautiful and blue and white. And <laughs> Sophia's like, oh, don't distress me. It reminds me of Augustus's waistcoat. <laughs> like everything. I mean, this goes on for paragraphs where Laura's trying to steer the conversation to something to distract Sophia. And Sophia's like, no, it reminds me of him. And it's, I found that really funny and ridiculous. So ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think that, oh gosh, I just, I'm thinking that it's so important to to get the context of the parody of this in order to mm-hmm. appreciate it. And I, I <laughs> parody is hard to read. Satire is hard to read, especially when yeah. it's like not from your own time because you just don't necessarily recognize all of those beats. I'm having fun talking about this with you, Chelsea, is really what I want to say because like the humor is coming alive all the more in, in us getting to relive it. I I think the other thing that was interesting to me about this was like seeing some some slivers of connections between her you know core core six novels. Um I you know she fa- she she usually used common character names. That was that was something actually she did to separate herself from these sentimental novels where the characters always had these like very like fancy extravagant uncommon names her characters names were what pe- what real people were generally named so i don't want to make a huge point of this but i think it's kind of fun that one of that the daughter character's name in this is marianne and marianne and sense and sensibility is definitely her most maybe not most but one of her most dramatic characters who has that you know level of sensibility that we kind of see in here so i thought that was a fun connection and then I just thought she was already so good at just skewering these characters. And I I marked a line where she first meets Dorothea, who was supposed to marry her her husband. It was his her father-in-law wanted his son to marry Dorothea. And she describes Dorothea in letter the seventh as she was of that inferior order of beings with regard to delicate feeling, tender sentiments, and refined sensibility. Inferior order of beings is hilarious. And we just see that, like, sharpness already at work in this, which was so fun. I agree. There was 
just another kind of throwaway line that I thought sort of connected to her other works. Uh, let's see, I think Edward's father says, oh, you've been studying novels? <laughs> As in like, oh, you've been, you know, your life is wasted. You've been getting these ideas in your head. That was a really common idea at the time that novels were sort of <laughs> corrupting the youth. Yeah. Um, and that's very Northanger Abbey-ish. Just in general, I think the awareness of women's place in the world versus the mm-hmm. the men's even in this little novella is very clear and there's some uh some satire going on with that but yeah I mean certainly it, there's there's the wit you can see it bubbling a little bit and one thing that I think is funny though is for people who have not read Austen or those who have a certain idea about Austen's novels or Regency novels in general, I think people automatically go to, oh, there's just a lot of fainting and weak women, right? Mm-hmm. Which that's what Jane is playing with here, but that's not at all, this is not at all what her heroines are like later on. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why I think understanding the parody is so important, because if you just read this and thought like, oh, this is just this was just her early writing of what she thought a novel should be, then that would just reinforce that idea that that that's what her works end up being. But she did ended up doing something completely different, but she was very aware of the literary context that she was in and having fun with it. And I I think, I think it's so great that that she seems to have be having fun with it and mocking it in this way that it's clear that she still really enjoyed reading these books and recognized their silliness, but also thought they were really fun. And I love that degree of like, not taking herself too seriously that you see in this, this work. Yeah, I agree. It, it is, it's just a fun one. But yeah, if I if I hadn't been reading the endnotes, if I hadn't read the introduction to this collection or, you know, studied a little bit for, for our juvenilia class, I feel like I would have missed quite a bit. Um, I, I just, I also think, so the epistolary form was another thing that she was really playing with, and that's another sort of parody, but it's remarkable. That's a really tricky form. It is. And I thought it was really interesting to read her playing with that because none of her novels are written in first person. And so to see her like experimenting with with voice and writing from another perspective, um, we talked a lot about her free indirect discourse style in mm-hmm. our Pride and Prejudice episodes. So um, go listen to those if you want to learn more about the the narrative style she eventually takes on. But yeah, it was fun to see her writing in first person. And I, I also, and I actually don't know if this is available somewhere, but Sense and Sensibility, at least, was originally an epistolary novel, Letters Between Eleanor and Marianne. And so... It was also really 
enjoyable to think about what that novel might have looked like if she'd stuck with that epistolary form, which I feel like reading this helped me helped me think about that a little bit more. So Sarah, this is a short work. There's not a whole lot to talk about in terms of oh character development or plot here because like we said it's a parody these characters aren't necessarily meant to be deep they're just meant to be sort of stock characters and the wit and the humor is what comes across the most in this piece of Austin's work so with that being said and with what we have talked about who would you recommend love and friendship to who should read Austin's Juvenilia I I think I would only really recommend it to Austinites and super fans of Jane Austen's work because I mean that's really what I enjoyed most is just thinking about her as a young writer seeing the connections to her later work I enjoyed the parody but I don't know a ton about sentimental novels so I wasn't like I mean I was cracking up at the fainting that was pretty easy to pick up on but otherwise um it wasn't like laugh out loud funny in you know to a modern reader. So yeah, I think I think you have to be an Austin fan. Or maybe if you're just really interested in the development of writing and writers, like to even if Jane Austen isn't your favorite writer, to think about how she developed as a writer. If you're that kind of nerd, you might like diving into this too. Yeah, so we will, well, let me think, when are people listening to this? Tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Tuesday the 26th, then tomorrow on the 27th, we'll be discussing love and friendship with our book club. And we also read Lady Susan with them, which is a work that I would love to read for the main feed sometime and discuss. But reading it back to back with love and friendship It was written about four years later when Austin was 18, and I love Lady Susan. I think it's really fun, but it was really fun to have that reading experience of sort of watching a writer grow. It's another epistolary, and I was just going to say, I think if you are an Austin fan, these two that we plucked out are really fun to read back to back, and I'm excited to discuss them with everyone, so... Yeah, and I'm excited to hear what you think about Lady Susan as well, Sarah, because you haven't read that one, and I just, I think it's really fun, and it's, it's, um, I feel like it's the sassiest of Austen's work, and so it's no wonder that I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. All right, well, today we're sharing our pairings as part of this episode rather than as its own episode because we knew this conversation would be a little bit shorter. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to pair with love and friendship. So Chelsea, you want to get us started? Yes. This first one, I feel like this is a classic that we might cover on the podcast someday. Oh, we totally should. I was trying to think about parody It's not something that I read very often. It's not something that people write very often these days in novel form. So many parody movies, but like, I could not think of any books, really. Well, in the first movie that I thought of was The Princess Bride. And then I thought, well, people really love that book. I haven't read the book, but I do love, love, love. No! 
Oh my god. I love the movie though. It's one of my favorite movies. Okay, I a lot of people say that this is one of the few book to movie adaptation where the movie is better. And that might be true, but what's amazing about the book is that it has like all of the interruptions that little Fred Savage does in the movie. Those are in the book because the whole setup of the book is that William Goldman like found this book and he's writing an abridged copy. So he's like taking out the boring parts and stuff. And it's, (laughs) it's hilarious. I, anyways, I'm going to let you talk about it, but I think the book is great. Well, maybe you should talk about it more since I haven't read it. I just, I, I think it's such a great example of, okay, we have this genre, we have the fairy tale genre or, uh, sort of the rescue adventure genre. And we have, this ridiculous parody of it where the characters are extra silly, some unexpected things and twists and turns happen. And it's just, it's silly. Silly is the word that kept coming to mind as I was reading Love and Friendship and as I was thinking about books that I would like to pair it with. Just this element of pure, ridiculous fun. And to me, when I think about that, I think about The Princess Bride by William Goldman. So maybe it's a little bit more of a recommendation for the movie, but um, I I would love to read the book sometime. So maybe it will be a, a podcast pick in the near future. But yeah, do you have anything else to say about the book since you, you've read it, Sarah? I, I mean, I really like metafiction, but this is like, I think usually you hear metafiction and you're like, oh, it's serious and literary. And this is really fun metafiction because, it, yeah, it has that angle of he's he's writing the book as if someone else wrote this book and he's just editing it. And there are all these like authorial asides about how how boring certain sections are. But it's also like, I mean, it's playing with genre in a really fun way and the fairy tale element it's long. It's pretty long. Um, so I think that it's fine. This one's fine to just watch the movie. But And probably if you love the movie, then you read the book and it's like a little bit less than. But I think it's fun. And I, I maybe we just shouldn't say anymore because we should cover it on the yeah. podcast. I think that sounds fun. <laughs> okay. Speaking of fairy tales, what's, yeah. your, what's your pick, Sarah? Okay. So my first pick is Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine. I love this book so much. This is one of those books that made me a reader. You're nodding. I yeah. feel like you feel similarly. A love, a love for this one. Yeah. I just, I wanted to do like a fairy tale retelling that was silly and playful. And this one is, is heartfelt as well. So is The Princess Bride. Um, but yeah, it felt... I don't know that I would call Ella Enchanted a parody, but it's certainly playing with genre and asking funny questions about genre. Um, So if you're unfamiliar with Ella Enchanted, (laughs) it is a middle grade novel. I can't remember when I read it. I read it so many times. The cover of my paperback is has fallen off and the pages are in two (laughs) sections now. Um, But it's about Ella who, when she is born, a fairy wants to grant her a gift and she gives her the gift of obedience, which of course turns out to be a curse. And Ella has to, has to do everything that she is ordered to do. 
And of course, that's very dangerous. And so her family tries to keep it a secret. And but, you know, she she meets this prince. Prince, I think he is named Prince Charming and goes by Char. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and um, they, they, well, they're, it's they've, they've become friends first, and then her closeness to him puts him in danger. And there are wicked stepsisters and ogres and fairies. And it just plays with all of the fairy tale conventions in really fun ways. And I also wanted to get a middle grade novel in here since Jane wrote this as a young person. Um, I think she probably would have liked this book. So my first pick is Ella Enchanted. Great. Even if you're an adult and you never encountered this, I think if you like kind of fractured fairy tales, pick it up. It's such a delightful read. It's it's really, really fun. And the book is way better than the movie. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is a case of, yes, the movie is a travesty. It's about time that they could remake it. Oh yeah, they should 100% remake it. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny that we both went for fairy tales. I think it does say something about which genre now is played Mm. with the most. It's a good point. um, Gets parodied the most. And it makes sense that it's fairy tale. It's so familiar on a large scale. And yeah, I yeah. think that's interesting. And it's also, it's something, um, we're talking about juvenilia. So what do you read when you're younger? You tend mm-hmm. to get those fairy tales, whether you're watching them through the Disney movies or reading them for bedtime stories. And so then as you mature, those are the stories that are easy to manipulate and rewrite and read those retellings of. So I just think it's interesting that we went there right away. Oh, that is such a good point. All right, Chelsea, what is your second pairing? Okay, I don't have very much to say about this one, so I might toss in a bonus pick as well. Great. But texts from Jane Eyre and other conversations with your favorite literary characters by Mallory Ortberg came to mind. This is a book I haven't read in its entirety, but I have flipped through it. I've read excerpts online from reviews, and it is what it sounds like. It's a collection of text conversations from literary characters back and forth to each other. So there was one that it was uh, from Wuthering Heights, and it's just... um, Kathy and Heathcliff texting back and forth, I love you. No, I love you so much I could die. No, I love you even more. I'm going to throw myself off, off of this cliff. And just, you know, it's it's silly. It's uh-huh. epistolary. And it's absolutely parodying the source text. So it's just parodies of all of these classic novels in, in text format. So I thought it was, I mean, if you could draw a direct comparison to something from love and friendship this seems like it would be it oh i think that's perfect that sounds so fun great pick all right my next one is something i just read recently and i just want to preface it by saying i loved this book so much and i want more people to read it but the way that i'm pairing it with this book may might make you think that i did not like it but i loved it (laughs) so It is A Countess Below Stairs by Eva Ibbotson. So this is a chaste historical romance. I think it was published in like 1981. So caveat that there are definitely some dated 
elements in in this book. But I think that this book is probably the the closest thing I've read to the sentimental novels that Jane was parodying in Love and Friendship. So it is a historical romance about Anna, who is a Russian countess who, during the revolution, her family, you know, loses all of their titles and money and they flee to England where they have to work, which, you know, is tough. (laughs) But of course, Anna has a great attitude about it and she decides she's going to become a housemaid at this big estate to help out her, her family. And it's a romance, so of course she ends up falling in love with the owner of the manor house. He has a really vile fiancé who she has to contend with. There are all kinds of um, elements of coincidence where her, you know, she runs into long-lost family members, and of course it has a very happy ending that's largely based on coincidence. And it is like quite dramatic and sentimental, but it's also really funny. Like clearly Ibbotson was playing with genre a little bit too. Like her, her writing is just really punchy and really witty. And she has all of these kind of asides that made me giggle. And it was just the perfect to me combination of of the sweetness of this genre, but, and, and you don't sacrifice any of that, but there is a, a little bit of a twist, a little bit of a sharpness to it that, um, makes it all, all the better. And I just, I think it's great. And it is, you know, kind of a fairy tale ish retelling as well, um, because it's a little bit like Cinderella or maybe even Beauty and the Beast kind of, um, there's some, there's some fairy tale nods in this. Um, it's called A Countess Below Stairs, but there's a young adult version that I think is called The Secret Countess. I'm not sure why it needs a young adult version because it's a very chaste romance regardless, but, um, yeah, so I don't know what the, the young adult version <laughs> looks like. I will say, I listened on audio. I think I found it through my library. The audio was great. Once again, I think it's easier for me to pick up on witticisms and humor on audio. The cover that is available of this book in print is terrible, which is so sad because the rest of Ibbotson's books have great new covers. And for some reason, this one, I guess, didn't get one or got one and then it went out of print but I'm just saying if you look it up and you see it it kind of looks like a twilight book cover um (laughs) so just be prepared for that but this is A Countess Below Stairs by Eva Ibbotson I really need to read that one I think you would have a lot of fun with it and I'd Mm -hmm. I'd be really curious to hear your your take on it because you know I have not read a ton of historical romances and I definitely haven't read any like historical romances from the 80s before this one and so it was a completely new experience for me and I really loved it well I have historical romance to recommend too perfect (laughs) I I just was thinking okay I really want to recommend a book that is silly and fun and I 
I don't have a lot of that in my reading life except for a select few historical romance authors whose humor gets me every time. And the main one is Tessa Dare. She wrote this Castles Ever After series, and I think I've recommended another book from that series with The Blue Castle, maybe? I'll have to go back in show notes and see. But this is one of my favorite Tessa Dare books, and it's really funny, and it is silly and ridiculous, but it's not a parody. It's not as over-the-top as Love and Friendship. It's just really fun and there is an epistolary element. So this book is When a Scot Ties the Knot. Okay, Miss Madeline Grace Church. What a perfect romance name. So (laughs) she is really good at drawing. She is interested in science and actually one of the main parts of the book is that she is drawing lobsters through all their life cycles. And so she's like trying to watch these lobsters mate so that she can capture it in her sketches. How do people think of these setups? I know. <laughs> um, but anyway, she had a London season, but she was absolutely terrible at it. And so what she did is instead of just being the awkward wallflower all the time, she invented a sweetheart. And instead of just making him up, she actually wrote letters to him. So she made up, she said, this is a Scottish sweetheart. He's Captain Mackenzie. He is off in an away at battle. And then she pretended that he was killed so that she could be devastated and not get married because her heart was broken. <laughs> So here's the thing. Like I said, she actually wrote letters and like put them in the mail because she thought, well, whatever, this is just made up. Well, there is a Captain McKenzie and he got those letters. Of (laughs) course. All of a sudden he shows up at her doorstep and he's like, hey, I have all of these letters. I have all of these wounded men with me and I didn't have anywhere else to go, but we're supposedly engaged, so let's let's chat, Missy. <laughs> and of course, they fall in love, and it's so fun. And it's just there are all of these really fun moments, and it's hilarious. And if you've read any Tessa Dare before, I just I think this one is so worth reading. Like if you've read The Duchess Steel and you liked it, which that's probably her most popular one right now, I. For me, I think this might be my favorite, When a Scott Ties the Knot by Tessa Dare. Such a fun setup. I am so excited to read this. I requested it from the library, and I think I told you that it, it came in, but it was a an ebook, not the audiobook. Oh, the audio is, is good. I've heard you say the audio is good, and that's just how I'm reading more mm-hmm. lately. So I'm going to wait until my audiobook hold comes yeah. in, and then I'm going to listen to it. I can't wait. <laughs> You'll have to let me okay. know. Oh, I will. (laughs) Okay, my last pairing is um, a little boring, but like we talked about, the book itself isn't boring. The pairing is just a little, like, it's not as inventive as some of ours. But um, like we discussed, I think knowing the context of 
when Jane Austen was writing, the setup of like how she performed her juvenilia for her family, um, all of that was really helpful to us in reading this book. And so I think it would be helpful to other readers. So I'm going to recommend Jane Austen, A Life by Claire Tomlin, which is one of, it's the only Jane Austen biography I have read. So I don't want to say it's like the best or my favorite because it's the only one, but this one is really lauded by scholars but and readers alike because it's it's very readable. It's not a dry biography. It's really fun. It's got some great mix of literary criticism in there where she she subtly suggests that maybe certain things that happened to Jane might have inspired certain aspects of her book uh, without relying too heavily on that, which I thought was really nicely done. Um, and yeah, just learning more about who Jane Austen was as a young woman, as a girl, I think definitely informed my reading of Love and Friendship in a fun way. And I think that that any Jane Austen fan would really enjoy this one, Jane Austen, A Life by Claire Tomlin. I think you have recommended her letters on the podcast before. And so I'll, I'll reiterate that her letters are also great and a great way to see her sense of humor, which would additionally enhance, I think, the reading of her juvenilia. So a, a second plug for, for her letters. Yeah, the one other book that I was thinking of is Miss Austen by Jill Hornby. Have you read that one? No. Did it become a movie, though? I don't think so. This one was actually pretty recent. So this is a fictionalized version of Cassandra Austen's life. Oh. So, and Cassandra, Jane Austen's sister, she was the recipient of a lot of Jane's juvenilia. Jane dedicated a lot of her young works to her sister, and they performed together. You can actually, in certain collections, you can see Cassandra's little sketches that she did to accompany Jane's juvenilia Mm -hmm. in, in some of these. And Miss Austen by Jill Hornby kind of uh, investigates the reasons that Cassandra might have burned a bunch of Jane's letters. So I think that's really interesting. And then it talks a lot about, it goes in sort of back and forth time where it's older Cassandra and then she sort of has flashbacks and thinks about growing up with Jane and what their relationship was like. And I think that that makes such a great pairing for Jane's juvenilia specifically because so much of this work was sort of made either with Cassandra in mind or with her as almost a co-author or an editor. So uh, yeah, if anyone has read Miss Austen by Jill Hornby, I would be curious to hear how it is, but it's certainly, you know, it's been on my radar for a while, but I, I thought given, given the childhood investigation, it might be a fun one with love and friendship oh I love that I I I think I had a copy of that I just looked it up while you were talking it has a really beautiful cover and I think I must have packed it away I don't think I would give away any Jane related book because sometimes I'm just in the mood (laughs) for them um but yeah I Mm -hmm. never read that one I was thinking of the movie Becoming Jane with Anne Hathaway um, have you watched that? I have, yeah. Back in yeah. the day, not in a long yeah. time. 
Yeah. It's it came out in 2007, so yeah, it's been been a while. So I don't. That's not a recommendation. That's just I thought maybe Miss Austin was a book in a, the similar telling a similar story, but it sounds very different. Yes, I think it is. All right. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun to talk about Austin. I'm excited to talk about this with our book club members, and yeah, it's just good to be back with with our pal Jane. Yeah, I agree. And we'll, I'm sure, do more Austin Juvenalia or, you know, tangential Austin stories at some point. Because if we want to do Austin every March and we want our podcast to last longer than six years, (laughs) (laughs) which feels like a long time, but I think we do, then uh, we're going to have to bring in some some of the lesser known known works here. So I think this was really fun. Um, and I cannot wait to talk with our literature scholars about Love and Friendship and Lady Susan. If you are listening to this episode the day it comes out, it's not too late. You can join our Patreon at the literature scholar level and get access to the recording of the juvenilia class we referenced and join us for our discussion of Love and Friendship and Lady Susan. And we'd love to have you over there. Yes. And from there, you'll get monthly classes, our book club discussions and bonus episodes. We have been recording those and getting back into it, which is really fun. And you can access those either at the $8 literature scholar level with everything else or at the $5 level where you just get those bonus episodes. And for all of that, go to patreon.com slash novel pairings. And of course, we are over on Instagram as well. That's another place to gather and connect with us. We've so enjoyed hearing from you there. Send us a message, take us in your stories and your posts. Um, It really brings us joy when you do this so that we can know that we're not talking to the void, even though like we would do this to talk to each other, but it's so (laughs) So lovely to know that all the hard work we put in is getting to your ears. So let us know by taking us on Instagram when and where you're listening to the show. And that's just a great way to spread the word about novel pairings as we try to grow our project and reach even more listeners. So post about it on Instagram, write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. I looked at our reviews recently and unsurprisingly, because we've taken a bit of a hiatus, we haven't gotten any new reviews in a while. So I'm going to request a little more desperately than usual that if you've been listening and enjoying, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It does make a huge difference. And once it, it, it makes a difference for us too. It makes us feel good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music as always. Next time, we'll be back to discuss Romance in Marseille by Claude McKay. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of 